Hi, everyone. Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. Carrie and I are here talking about horses, the way our country is treating them both in the spotlight lately, Carrie, with a lot of the news that's been happening in the past week, but also behind the scenes. So uh, to shed a spotlight on what's been going on, we're chatting with Keith Dane, the Senior Director of Equine Protection at the HSUS. Keith, we are so glad that we have a chance to chat with you on such a timely subject. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So we spoke about it a little bit uh, at the top, but horse racing has definitely been in the news lately, and not just because of the annual tradition of the Kentucky Derby, but also because of a particular uh, horse that's been in the news. Can you update us on what's been going on there if people haven't been watching the news? Yes, sure. Well, a horse that won the Kentucky Derby named Medina Spirit, trained by a trainer named Bob Baffert, uh, was found to have been uh, administered a prohibited substance, uh, a drug called betamethasone, um, and was uh, still allowed to run in the second leg of the Triple Crown, the Preakness, but has been banned from uh, running in the Belmont in New York State. In fact, the New York Racing Authority has banned Baffert, temporarily at least, uh, from racing at any of the three tracks in New York State. Mm. Um, the, the sample, um, as I said, did come back positive. In racing, they typically take the sample and split it in half and do what they call a split sample test. So they test the other half to make sure that the first test wasn't tampered with in any way, didn't produce a false positive, and we're still waiting to hear what the results of that split sample are going to be. Thanks, Keith. I think one of the things that I was trying to work through recently, and forgive me because, you know, I, I used to ride horses, but my awareness around drug, drug, horse drug abuse is, is pretty low. One of the things I was really curious about, and for folks who, um, who kind of don't know this issue as well, can you talk about why this doping issue is an animal welfare issue specifically? Because it's, I think some people might go, what does this have to do with animal suffering, animal cruelty? And, you know, like when I thought it through, I actually was like, oh yeah, there's some reasons, but I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. So we know that when horses are running um, injured uh, on pain masking drugs, mm. um, they don't feel the pain, so they run, but they're subjecting that injured leg to further injury and it leads to breakdowns. Mm. And typically when a horse breaks a leg or has a serious fracture, it can't be repaired. So the horse has to be euthanized. And so there have been a spate of deaths. Uh, there have mm. always been deaths in horse racing, but uh, you know, in the last year or two, there have been a spate of deaths that most of which are, or many of which were probably related to um, the use of medications uh, that caused the horse to run when they should have been resting. And so mm. that's why it's a welfare issue. It's, it's sending horses to their deaths when you run them on pain masking or even performance enhancing drugs that push them beyond their natural limits. So in last year, I think we did some work to get a major federal law on this passed. And can you talk a little bit about like the, the desired um, effects of what that law will be? I know we're kind of still in the stages where it's, it's been passed, but what does it need still need to happen? So the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act was passed and signed into law by uh, former President Trump last December. Um, we were the lead animal protection organization working on the bill with members of Congress and people in the horse racing industry who want to clean it up, who want to mm -hmm. end this illicit doping and the risks to the horses, um, who work with us and other groups to, uh, to come up with a bill that we supported and helped to get passed. What the bill will do is set up a non-governmental organization um, a freestanding authority, if you will, that reports to the Federal Trade Commission or is answerable to them. They will set up regulations for both um, the doping uh, of racehorses as well as racetrack safety standards. And mm. um, we think this has great potential to save a lot of horses' lives because 
the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency is the entity that will be contracted with to um, establish those rules and enforce them, uh, including mm. you know, the testing protocols and penalties and reciprocity. You know, one of the concerns in racing is that there is no reciprocity between states. In other words, for example, Baffert has been suspended from racing his horses at Churchill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby was held, and in New York State, but he was allowed to run in Maryland at the Preakness. Uh, Interesting. Horses. And most of his most of his racing is done in California, and he hasn't been banned there. So, wow, you know, we have not yet found that he has violated the rules, but um, many violators do skip from state to state um, and avoid penalties just by racing in states where they haven't been penalized. So. That's a great point. Keith, I'm curious, in the case of Medina Spirit for something like this law, uh, I know it's a bit trivial to live in hypotheticals, but if this law was in place, could this whole mess have been avoided in the first place? Yeah. Well, you know, however the horse was administered this drug, if in fact it turns out that he was, whether it was intentional or not, um, you know, he shouldn't have been allowed to race. The, um, the propensity to cheat exists in all sports. Mm. And so you're never going to stop that. But at least there will be more severe penalties and more you know, risks to trainers or veterinarians or owners that you know, subject their horses to these drugs uh, once this authority is in place. Right now, there really is not much in the way of teeth in any of the states, uh, 38, in fact, states racing commissions to prevent this. And that's why it has gotten to be such a widespread practice. You know, we have a, a sort of a drug culture in American racing. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I, I think that one of the things we were interested to find out was um, when you mentioned the United States Anti-Doping Agency and, and the propensity that, to cheat that exists in all sports, it's the same agency that, that um, weighed in on the Lance Armstrong issue, right? That's right. And, and that is fascinating. Caught him, caught him and penalized him and, and suspended him for life. Mm -hmm. you know, the difference, though, between drugs and racing, horse racing and drugs in human sports is that the humans have a choice, right? Exactly, right. They, Lance Armstrong knew what he was doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, they take the risks if there are any um, in, in administering these drugs or allowing them to be administered. And they know that they're going to gain. Horses don't really care whether they win a race. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're put in that by humans. Yeah. And I think they would they like their legs be... not to break if they had yeah. an opinion. That'd be, yeah, and, that would be good with the horse. Die. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the work that your team is doing now on this law, that's just the first steps in this whole long process uh, in this field, right? Enforcement is, is a whole nother game that, that the team has to work on as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, getting laws passed is difficult, and this was a significant win, a victory for animals. Um, but having a law on the books that has no teeth and doesn't get enforced um, doesn't protect the animals. So uh, we'll be following the work of this new authority that's been set up. Uh, it was just the, the board members of it were just named earlier this month. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to begin their work of setting up these regulations that are required by law to be in place by July of next year. There's no reason they can't be in place sooner. So we'll be encouraging that authority to move quickly to get these regulations up and, up and running and contract with U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. Um, but yeah, there are many uh, steps that need to be taken. Uh, and even when the regulations are up and running, we want to make sure that these, this entity is enforcing them. And so we'll be monitoring that and commenting. And uh, as we do with many federal uh, agencies and even NGOs, uh, mm -hmm. this is the case with this law, um, we'll be encouraging them to do their best to protect these animals through enforcement.
Keith, just out of curiosity, I, I know you mentioned that you were sort of allied with a lot of the horse racing industry on this. Are there people who are opposed to these reforms? Like, why would you oppose this? Well, I mean, the folks that are using the drugs, right, mm. to, uh, to gain an advantage are yeah. among those that don't want to see this, uh, this law succeed. There's actually been a lawsuit filed in federal court to challenge the constitutionality <laughs> of this. Wow. I, I believe it's the uh, Horseman's Benevolent uh, Protection um, Benevolent. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> which is basically the, which is basically the, you know, the trainers mm -hmm. um, yeah. association. Now, many trainers have come out in favor of the rule, and ironically, Baffert himself, Bob Baffert, has said <laughs> that he, he supports the law. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the associations that represent many of these trainers um, don't want this law to pass. Some veterinarians don't, although I believe. Um, the American Association of Equine Practitioners, the Equine Vet Group, did in, mm -hmm. in the end endorse the bill. Mm -hmm. um, but people who are, you know, gaining advantage by cheating are the ones that don't want to see this in place. And some of the state racing commissions who feel like they're going to be superseded by this new authority, some of their, you know, power is going to be yielded to this new authority may feel threatened. But the law allows for a working relationship between the new authority and those racing commissions if they're doing a good job. So with Baffert, like if, if the positive, if the split test comes back positive, like what are the likely consequences for him? He's already been suspended in one place. I mean, would the consequences be more severe? I mean, do we know or is it unclear at this point? Well, I mean, one possible outcome is that the horse Medina Spirit loses the derby title. Right? Mm, is mm -hmm. no longer declared the winner and the second place horse moves up. And then the wow. winnings that uh, the owner and trainer won would be given to the second place horse. Uh, for betters, unfortunately for them, mm. um, there are not going to be any changes to you know the payout because those right. betters have already received their, right. their payments. So, um, wow. you know, it just really goes to the heart of what's wrong with racing when you Oh, can that's have, fascinating. Yeah, that's crazy when you think it. <laughs> yeah, you can have a horse win and then prove yeah. be proven to be in violation and wow. uh, lose the title. Mm -hmm. Another outcome is that, you know, Kentucky Derby, I mean, rather Churchill Downs or the Kentucky Racing Commission could decide to suspend Baffert for a longer period of time. But, uh, you know, it's not likely that he's going to be suspended everywhere. And mm. again, that's the issue with reciprocity or lack thereof. Yeah, I just think it's so frustrating that it, this isn't his, you know, very first violation and in, in knowingly in other states, it's it's it just it doesn't cross state lines and so it's it seems like reciprocity is is a a win if you know if that's the potential there so right. um, yeah he's had 30 violations in his career 30 drugging, and five <laughs> wow. in the last year that's really interesting yeah i i mean it's interesting that he supported the law with that kind of uh checkered checkered history i guess i'd be curious whether he's he's still a, a staunch supporter at this point <laughs> well, you know, I think that he probably suspects that many of his competitors are doing the same thing that mm. he's been accused of doing. And yeah. that if there's a strong authority in place that everyone will have to abide yeah. by and the, the playing field will be leveled. So how often, Keith, like in terms of the um, number of horses impacted by this kind of stuff, like how, how often are horses being badly injured or dying on the racetracks? Well, the last year that we have good statistics on, and I say that because in 2020, there were not many races because mm -hmm. of COVID. Yeah. But in 2019, there were over around 450 racehorse deaths, which is on average is unbelievable. eight and a half deaths every week on American tracks. And that's just during races. That doesn't include breakdowns during training, you know, between races. Wow. It's an incredible number. That is, we have that the is highest really fatality rate. Yeah. Uh, we have the highest fatality rate of any racing nation in the world. 
So what is it that makes our, it, are there differences in regulations in other countries that, that make their, their sort of protection of the horses stronger? Yes, well, in fact, we're the only one that allows race day medication. And wow, one the, interesting. Huh? One of the main reasons why we pressed for this bill is because we needed to get a handle on this and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and crack down on it and prohibit it. Well, we're going to stay tuned for, for updates, absolutely, both in the results of the test and also of the, um, the law going through and, and figuring out next steps for enforcement as well. Um, we've been talking about you know, the public spotlight, but still yet a very small circle into how the country treats its horses with the fame and the attention that's heaped on to not only this race, but other races in general. Uh, there's also a huge contradiction of the thousands of other horses that are put into horrible conditions um, for many other reasons that we want to talk about here. So there's another piece of legislation that we're working on to protect horses as a whole. Can you tell us about that a little bit more, Keith? Yes. In fact, just recently, the Save America's Forgotten Equines Act, which is H.R. 3355, was introduced in the House of Representatives. That bill is going to save many thousands of American horses' lives because it's going to ban the slaughter of horses for human consumption, not only here in the United States, but also abroad. I, I think that many people will be shocked to hear that horse slaughter is still a thing in this country. Can, can you talk about, like, what are the circumstances that has allowed sort of the American horses to still be threatened by this issue? Yeah, certainly. Well, you know, there has been slaughter of American horses for decades, mm -hmm. but that, thankfully that number has been declining. In fact, last year was the lowest number of horses that were exported for slaughter in probably 20 years or more. Um, but over 37,000 horses were exported. That's 100 horses per day on average for slaughter. And that's way too many. We don't want to see one horse mm -hmm. subjected to the cruelty of slaughter. So we've been working for years with uh, members of Congress to try to shut this industry down. And in fact, in 2007, we and coalition partners were su successful in getting the last two remaining horse slaughter plants in the United States shut down. Um, what happened as a result, though, was that kill buyers, the middlemen that go to auctions and scoop up these horses into this predatory you know, pipeline um, and then export them to um, slaughter plants in Canada and Mexico, started doing more of that. And so the number of exports went up um, but as I said, thankfully, that's on the decline. We feel this is an opportune time and a great time to shut down this predatory industry once and for all. And that's why we're you know, going to be putting all of our effort behind getting this, this law passed. Mm. Um, we've been keeping the domestic plants shuttered annually through the appropriations process, taking funding away from USDA for horse slaughter inspections, which are required to you know, sell horse meat uh, or ship it abroad. And so we've kept those plants shuttered, but we want to shut the borders down too and protect mm. horses from this horrible cruelty. For people who don't know, I mean, like, can you talk a little bit about the, the I mean, I don't, without getting too horribly grisly, yeah. I mean, can you talk a little bit about why horse slaughter is such a welfare challenge? So, I mean, the process begins when the horses are bought by these kill buyers at auctions and they're put into feedlots um, and then stuffed into trailers more than the trailers are supposed to hold. Uh, and the horses fight and kick and bite each other. Sometimes they fall <laughs> and trample each other to death. So there have been a lot of casualties of horses just en route to the slaughter plants. And then at the plant itself, you know, horses are a species that's handled with care by their owners and, and handlers. Um, they're not typically herded like other animals. And so when they're unloaded off the trailer and shoved through these chutes at the slaughter plant, they um, 
you know, they experience fear and panic. And then when they get in the kill box, they're smelling the you know, blood of other horses and the sounds of the other horses. It's a terribly frightening experience. And then they're rendered unconscious through the use of a captive bolt gun, which is a device that's used for this, you know, euthanasia or the stunning of um, many animals uh, in the slaughter plant. Um, but horses don't respond well to that. They have long necks, um, they thrash around, and quite often they suffer multiple blows to the head before they're rendered unconscious and then strung up by their hind legs and bled out. So the whole process from the time they leave that auction to the time you know, that they're killed at the slaughter plant is a frightening one for them. Um, and it's not, a pain, uh, it's not a painless death. It certainly is not euthanasia. Um, yeah. And that's why we oppose it. I, I, see, I know that they're transported out, but does the meat, is it, does it come back into the country? It just seems like a whole terrible problem. What, where is the meat transported? Is it? Yeah. Well, Americans don't eat horse meat. In fact, that's why we give them all of these different drugs and medications for their welfare most of the time, but sometimes as in racing for performance enhancing right. uh, reasons. And many of those drugs are toxic to humans. And that's why not only does our FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, but the agencies in Europe and elsewhere prohibit these drugs from being given to any animal that's going to end up in the human food chain. So, you know, horse meat is not safe to consume. Again, thankfully, Americans don't consume it. We raise our horses as companions and pets and partners and work in sport. But there are countries abroad in Europe and Asia for example, that do consume horse meat. Uh, in Europe, that demand for horse meat is on the decline, but there is still a demand. And um, so because American horses end up in the pipeline and can be scooped up rather cheaply um, because they haven't been raised for years for food um, and all the expense that goes into that is not borne by the kill buyer or the slaughter plant, um, it's a cheap way to get horse meat into the European and Asian uh, you know, consumer market. Um, many of those consumers aren't aware where the meat came from or that it came from a horse that may have been given toxic substances. Mm, terrible. Mm, yeah. Gosh. Depressing. Well, are there things that we can do as the public to help ensure that these horses don't go through this disgusting suffering uh, that's happening? Yeah, I would urge everyone listening to contact their uh, congressperson and urge them to co-sponsor and help get this SAFE Act, the Save Americans, America's Forgotten Equines Act passed into law. Um, they can go to our website, uh, humanesociety.org, and we have an action alert there where they can take action by emailing and calling their member of Congress. That's great. Let's hope we get it done. Thanks, thanks, Keith. This is a rough, it's a rough issue to hear about. Yeah, really appreciate yeah, it. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Uh, anyone who's ever cared about a horse or mm -hmm. loved horses or admires them um, should be appalled by this and yeah. you know, needs to be outraged and take action. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Keith, for um, kind of pulling the, the curtain behind everything that goes on with the, the equines that are, 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 should be our friends. So mm -hmm. thank you so much, Keith. Uh, Keith Dane, Senior Director of Equine Protection at the HSUS. That's all we have for today's show. To find out more about how you can help save America's forgotten equines, be sure to head to humanesociety.org for more info. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Humane Voices. Humane Voices.